We pray for those many who are viewing by way of television. We pray for those who are celebrating anniversaries and birthdays. We pray for those who need a touch. I pray for my daughter Hope as she's waiting for a new bone marrow transplant grafting as she's being isolated from others for 30 days and we just pray for others in our congregation that Marie who's experiencing health challenges and others Lord we just want to uplift in the privacy of our own hearts pray for Mike and Tina as they plan on traveling for the next couple weeks and being away from us we pray that you'd grant them safety and travels and we pray for Mike's mother Diane Lord that you'd give her a special touch as they go to see her and in the challenges of health that Mike's mother and father are experiencing we pray father for our congregation in the future give us discernment we pray oh Lord your blessings upon our worship service we thank you for our faithfulness of our organist Clarice and the music and the time that she spends in preparation and delivery. We thank you for last Sunday's service. We thank you for Reverend George Groves and continuing blessing him as he's becoming involved in our eight ways, gateways groups. And even though in retirement, we're, we're booking him on many of the churches that are, that are conservative evangelical United Methodist churches he, as he seeks out dates and times and as he goes to the Aussie United Methodist Church to fill the pulpit there and Fridley and Pilgrim and other churches Lord Crosswinds and for the many new ministers that are entering new churches we pray for 16 and 16 retired United Methodists who are going into retirement and we pray that their pulpits would be filled and the vacancies would be eliminated and we pray for the, the two, two that have been ordained and called into ministry. But Lord, we realize there's the, the, the harvest is so plentiful and the labors are so few. And we keep this curve of retirement of 16 to 20 United Methodists retiring every year and only two or three that are going through the process of four years of college and four years of seminary and probationary membership. And we pray, Father, that you'd raise up men and women in our congregations that would feel the call of Christ to fill the many vacant pulpits. We pray this in thy name as you've taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're viewing by way of television today, our scripture is taken from a number of areas. I tried to get a hold of Mike this week and see if he was able to either come or, or view. I know some of you would view by way of Zoom the annual conference. You could not vote unless you had 
position in the United Methodist Church of Pastors. We've voted on issues, and I'm going to be calling on Robin to, to share some thoughts next week. Next week, and Mike is going to be reading scripture that he's kind of prepared for this Sunday because he's going to be gone here, I think, for a Sunday or two in the future. So, And I'll be commenting on that scripture in the weeks to come. So, Mike, if you would come and prepare to read the scripture and share with us this morning from your heart, uh, actually will be the scripture from for next week. And I'll be sharing on the GMC, the Global Methodist Church today, and then Robin will follow up next week. But if you can turn with us to Matthew, the 16th chapter, Matthew chapter 16, 16 through 19, Global United Methodist Church, that it's growing into the, and kind of leaving the United Methodist Church and it's becoming the Global United Methodist Church as part of the Wesleyan Covenant Association, is going back to a more conservative Methodist church. And they're using as their passion and their vision and their focus the scriptures, Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 19, which talks about Peter's declaration about Jesus. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then also a biblical premise of the GMC, the Global Methodist Church, which many churches that are conservative evangelical are evolving into in the next year, which I'll be referring to from Sunday to Sunday to give you um, kind of an update. I know many of you are not listening to Christian radio or Christian television and are not aware a lot of the fake news that liberal stations are not carrying these news, but so it doesn't kind of fall into your lap immediately. We'll, we'll deal with this subject so that you are aware of some of the areas of growth. And the second premise is taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 32, where Jesus, it says, This Jesus was raised up and that all of us are witnesses. You and I are all called to be witnesses. Mike and Tina will be gone here for, I believe, a few weeks, and but we wanted Mike to kind of give you a little understanding of the scripture and his his feel for for next next Sunday when he will be gone. So, Mike, will you take off? My sermon's on Luke chapter nine, verses seven through eleven. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard all that was done. He was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him what they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart from the city called Bethesda. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them in the kingdom of God 
and cure them who had need of healing. The popular rumors about Jesus had been circling had gotten to Herod, and they kind of left him perplexed. This may have had something to do with uh, his order to have John the Baptist killed. A bad conscience often brings confusion and perplexity. On verse 10, the apostles returned after a missionary trip and preaching that Jesus had sent them on, on in chapter 9, verse 1 and 6. In this verse here, they refer to apostles, not disciples. When they left Jesus in Luke 9, 1, they were labeled disciples or learners. When they come back from this mission, they were called apostles. Now, they're apostles because they were, quote, those sent with authority and message. They still remained disciples, but now more fully understood the message and whose authority they were working under. With increased knowledge and wisdom, they are far more proficient in sharing the Lord's message as well as doing his work. After the apostles returned, Jesus took them to a deserted place near the city of Bethesda. This was a deserted area nearby that city. And Bethesda was a city on the north shore of Lake Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. It was the hometown for Peter, Andrew, and Philip. Jesus took the disciples there to have some private time with them and further instruct them. Well, so much for that idea. The crowds had heard of their location and followed them. Verse 14 says the crowd was about 5,000 strong. Jesus did what Jesus often did. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those that were in need of healing. A good point to make here is back then, culturally speaking, kids and women weren't counted as in populations. Culturally, only men over a certain age were counted. So considering that, the crowd's number was probably over 5,000. Further on in verse 12, the apostles were tired and asked Jesus to let them leave because of the lack of food and facilities. They also noted Jesus they had come to a lovely, lonely place to get away from the crowds. Since that didn't work, they were looking for and needed a break from the constant activity they were experiencing with Jesus. Here's a final interesting note about my scripture. Herod had presented himself as a politician and focused on his publicity. For that reason, he didn't want to miss making contact with Jesus. Jesus was fully, publicly more popular and making the headlines of that day all the time. Jesus was so popular that Herod had to see him. Herod may have wished only to see Jesus out of pure curiosity and despite his massive ego. He probably reluctantly involved himself in such a public matter with the popular man, Jesus. That's the primary reason why he both why Herod both physically and metaphorically washed his hands to dissuade himself from having the public death of Jesus. He didn't want anything to do with the matter 
after he met Jesus Bernal, popular and loved he was. And he had him executed and washed his hands there. Thank you, Mike, and you bring greetings to your mom, Diane, next weekend as you travel. Pray blessings upon her. I am hoping that as you return, you'll share how she's doing. Dr. Mike, would you want to share any thoughts about your brother, how he's progressing in that? Would you like to share? You think, yeah. Would you feel up to sharing? Well, we're going to expect a great report from you next week. I always get a little confused. These doctors, they learned a girl to look alike. Yeah, Which I'm my brother. I'm the guy you were praying for. Uh, is this on? Can you hear me? Uh, I have a bit of a Mickey Mouse voice because I have vocal cord paralysis that I was injected for me to be able to swallow and then to talk. But I am here by the grace of God. Grace of God. Give you further encouragement in your prayers for healing, for I am truly in the, on the road to recovery from 13 hour surgery, cardiac arrest afterwards, seizures, vocal cord paralysis, ulnar nerve palsy, and uh, an ornery personality, which was mine, for all the hassles that I had to go through and how the nurses had to keep me on the straight and narrow and avoid falling on the floor and splitting my chest open. So anyhow, I just happened to read this this morning, and this is from a sister church on portals of prayer for personal and family devotions, and this is from June 9th. I'm trying to catch up to the month that I missed out on uh, reading this since I was in the hospital for three weeks. But anyhow, it's, it's talk, uh, talking on, on Romans 12 and also uh, the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. Uh, and the Romans chapter verses, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And that's from Romans, and the commentary is a litany of gravity or of gratitude for all of God's bounty should be our praise. He can take all of what we have, life, moments, days, hands, feet, voice, lips, silver, gold, intellect, will, heart, and finally ourselves and our love. Our great God uses these as his instruments to tell others of him and his salvation. It is a story that cannot be told by angels, but only by those who have experienced ransom from death and are eternally grateful. May God consecrate our lives to him. And then the prayer is, Lord, lead, use me as you will to be your vessel for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's my prayer now, too. It's been a tumultuous month. My father-in-law, whose shirt I'm wearing, by the way, and who sat over in that pew about the 4th or 5th when I introduced him at Easter, who gave a quick little sermonette and was going to come up to, at the pulpit. He's now on, on the other side of, of the veil in, in God's bountiful blessing in, in the mansion that he has been uh, given. So uh, uh, I will have to talk in, in his stead, too, but maybe at another time. I didn't want to 
take up too much time, but just to thank you all for your prayers and continue to do so. I would like to get, since this is my dominant hand, to have that palsy, which affects at least half my hand and affects my grip and my voice, which was what first brought me and my future wife together was singing in the choir at Moorhead State. So I would like to get back to the bass voice that I have and can project a little better than this one. I covet your prayers and I thank you for all you've done and what you do for your church and for the ministry thereof. And I do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all extend our right hands to the pulpit for our favorite ER doctor here. Father, we just pray for our favorite ER doctor as he's recuperating and looking more like his younger brother each and every day. We, we pray for the grief that his wife is experiencing, Warren, who was an officer, an aviator, instructor. We, we just pray that as he's made this transition just in the last few days from this life to the next, that he's leaping and jumping and he's bodily flying about in, in paradise where there's no more sickness, no more, no more death, no more illness, no more aging. Pray your hand of blessing now upon our favorite doctor here and his family and Mike and all the others. Lord, we just thank you, Father, for his willingness to even come and share and for his ability and restore that, that grip that he had and as he's overcoming this tremendous surgery, the backside of his heart. And we, we thank you for his presence here and continue to bless and surround this family as they're grieving the death of Warren and, and just the recuperation and near-death experiences that this family has been going through. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord, and God will have you singing in the multitudes. You know. I know when I had my mitral valve, they, they told me that I better take at least six. And I thought it was six hours. It was like, it was, yeah, weeks and months, you know. But praise the Lord, you know, as we get older, we don't recuperate quite as quickly as we were when we were teenagers. I know many of you have been asking me, so rather than dealing with what went on last week, I want to kind of deal with the television audience and then also with our congregation and many Methodists that probably have no idea what's going on in the United Methodist Church and many churches. It just kind of creeps up on you. I can honestly say this really hasn't, well, crept up on me because I've been dealing with this for some almost 50 and 60 years. I used to study this, you know, when I was kind of a lay delegate from a local rural church going to conference and the issues that were trying to be resolved basic articles of faith and the Constitution of the United Methodist Church and the discipline of the United Methodist Church and the vows that we took as ministerial candidates and as the uh, get our license to preach and then the lay delegate vows and that were being taken and and I I actually witnessed probably the height of Methodism was in 1968 I went to the, the merger of the EUB and the United Methodist Church, or the Methodist Church, which became EUB and Methodist joined to become the United Methodist Church in 1968, and that was the, the height 
of membership and church attendance, and then it's been dwindling some 1,200 to nearly 2,000 members a year in just the state of Minnesota that I've tracked since uh, 1968, and I kind of sense that, that if we could exist, if we could exist to the year 2025, there probably would not be a United Methodist alive. I tracked that many years ago. I, when I went to college, I was pre-med and majoring in mathematics and chemistry and biology. But I always had a concern for the church, and I followed the church, and I would always like to listen to the lay delegates' presentation. That was normally the week or two after annual conference when all of Methodists in the state of Minnesota would gather. Sometimes it was at Hamlin University. Other times it was Northfield when it was in St. Cloud. It was always much more convenient when it was at St. Cloud, and I lived in Eagle Bend um, to go to St. Cloud. And then as I was a probationary member, a, a deacon, an elder, you know, it was mandatory by, you know, the Book of Discipline that all ministerial candidates attend this week-long event where decisions were, were made concerning the budget and, and theological issues. We're in the midst of almost a civil war now within the United Methodist Church. For many years, for many years, the more liberal, more liberal Methodist Church was claiming they were going to take all the assets and just leave the United Methodist Church. Well, when they found out that they were not going to get a major following, they said, no, we're going to stay. We're going to stay in the United Methodist Church, and we want, we want to claim the name United Methodist. So then it became the object of the more conservative evangelical Methodists to kind of leave. And they've been brokering for the last years, years, you know, how about all the assets? How about the property? How about all the seminaries? How about the publishing houses? How about all the nursing homes and that had the title United Methodist? And it was, there was the dealings that was going on and they were allowed to exit and and many decisions were going to be made in 2020, but because of COVID and the transportation of many delegates from throughout the world could not gain entry in the United Methodist Church. And basically, 99% of those outside the United Methodist Church didn't want the church to go through any form of division. So it, it brings us up to the Transitional Leadership Council. This is a council that's helping lead various congregations through, through the next few months. And this transitional leadership team has been meeting weekly for a year to establish an interim, interim process. Interim is just, you know, in the, the midst of change, interim process for a new, new denomination with the proposed name of the GMC. Say it with me. Global Methodist Church. It's Global Methodist Church, which stands for the GMC, and it will have this their own logo and picture, if you will, three concentric circles, and all three circles are overlapping, and in the center is the cross. This is what the Global Methodist Church will look like. It uh, Once this new denomination is officially and legally formed, it will have all the authority for the new church. 
and there may therefore be changes and amendments. Whenever, if you've ever had the experience of being at a, a Methodist gathering, initially the Methodist church, um, John and Charles Wesley didn't want the Methodists to break away from the Anglican church, but they found that they could not stay within the Anglican church, so John and Charles Wesley started what they considered societies, Bible clubs. And they were called Bible moths for a period of time because they looked at the Bible as something that they wanted to, to eat up. And such the name Bible moth stuck. And then after that, critics and the fake news during that day called them methods. They had a method for everything. They even said that the, those, those societies, they had a method for, mag, for, method for madness because they were looked upon as too conservative, too conservative, too evangelical for the time. But then the Methodist church grew so rapidly that it became the number one church, the number one church in the attendees. It, it outperformed the, any other Protestant church, the Lutherans and the Baptists. Currently, it's the second largest Protestant church, but now it's going to be going through this division and who who can understand you know, the numbers and how they're going to relate to the numbers. The Global Methodist Church um, logo brings together in its the, these three circles, the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who alone we worship. The circles intersect at the center of the cross of Jesus Christ, the symbol of our deliverance from our slavery of sin and the fear of death. In the outer circumference, if you can imagine this logo, it used to be the United Methodist Church had the cross and the two flames. One flame meant EUB, the former Evangelical United Brethren. The other represented the Methodist Church. The two flames in the cross represent the United Methodist Church, but the new logo will be more representative of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the blue sky in the background reminds us that even though global Methodists live all around the world, they're united together in God's great creation. You'll learn more about in the next few weeks as you read about the new church that the mission it will be very exciting. It's, it's going to be very compelling and to make disciples of Jesus Christ who worship passionately, who who love extravagantly, who, who witness boldly. And then the vision, the vision will, is to join God in this journey of bringing new life, reconciliation, and the presence of Christ to all people and to helping each person to increasingly reflect the character of Jesus Christ. Now this proposed GMC, the Global Methodist Church, includes historic, the historic Methodist documents such as the 25 Articles of Religion adapted by John and Charles Wesley from the 39 Articles of the Anglican Church. Also included are the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. And this new de de denomination will maintain the current language in the United Methodist Church Discipline on Marriage. And it's understood that the post, the post separation that the more liberal faction as they are leaving 
will delete current discipline language and and on homosexuality and and they'll they'll they're opening the, the way for same sex same sex unions and the ordination of LGBTQT plus and the plus represents any other sexual activity so it's becoming much more liberal as they maintain the name of United Methodist. And so if you, in the future, claim to be United Methodist, you will certainly be approached by this new, new format that they're proposing and still using the old name now. But in the new denomination, local churches will own their own property, whether they continue to remain under the clause of the United Methodist Church, or if they go the global Methodist organization, including their own property and, and their own assets, and all of this has been worked out by this transitional committee over the last weeks, and they wanted to have it accomplished by 2020, but because of COVID, the vote was not able to be taken. And this d differs from the current trust clause current trust clause in the United Methodist Church where the property and the assets belong to the denomination or the headquarters of the so-called church. Bishops in the new church, the global Methodist church, the bishops will have term limits. All pastors will keep their retirement and their pension benefits regardless of which denomination they affiliate with, the more liberal United Methodist Church or the Global Methodist Church. In the proposed discipline for the Global Methodist Church is currently about, it's just one-fifth the size of the current United Methodist discipline. United Methodist discipline is almost bigger than the Bible of all the rules and resolutions and disciplines that they have. But the new church, the Global Methodist Church, will only be about one-fifth that current size of the United Methodist Church discipline. It'll be far easier and simpler to use and understand. It'll, there's going to be much less um, bureaucracy and rules with more local church control. The local church, the local church will have control of, of their own ministers and the calling of ministers rather than going through any aspects of bishops and cabinets and district superintendents. And the proposed discipline begins with our heritage of faith, which reads, as a Wesleyan expression of Christianity, the global Methodist Church professes the Christian faith established on the confession of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, the resurrected Lord of heaven and earth. And the confession is expressed by Simon Peter in the scripture that we read this morning from Matthew chapter 16, verse 19 and Acts chapter 232, and this is fundamental. We're going back to really biblical Christianity and declares that Jesus, Jesus is the incarnate word of God and that he lives today, that he's calling all to receive Jesus as Savior. The primary focus will be on Jesus, the Lord, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and is the one to whom all authority has been given. It also includes the Wesleyan way of salvation, which states that the gift, the gift of grace, is available to all persons 
Our Father in heaven is not willing that any should be lost, according to Matthew chapter 18, verse 14, but that all may come to a knowledge of truth, according to 1 Timothy 2, 14. All of the conservative evangelicals are, are in agreement to these basic scriptural beliefs. And with St. Paul, we affirm the proclamation found in Romans 10, 9, that if you, that if you confess, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. It's interesting that the way forward as a denomination, they will affirm this historic Methodism or the post-separation progressive, the progressive United Methodist Church. If you followed and tracked the divisions that have occurred in the Presbyterian Church or the Lutheran Church or what the Catholic Church is now struggling with, and especially with the current president who claims to be a Catholic and the, the division that's occurring in the Catholic Church, the more conservative evangelical Christians and Catholics are saying, that you cannot, you cannot be a faithful Catholic and you cannot participate in the Lord's Supper if you're pro-choice. You have to be pro-life. The current post-separation of the Progressive United Methodist Church, annual conferences will need to vote. And so we'll be voting and we'll, we'll need a 57% majority to move with the traditional the traditional Methodist expression, which the traditional Methodist expression will be the global Methodist church. And even if an annual conference votes to identify, if there's certain divisions within current United Methodist churches, they can call it a charge conference with the notification of at least three weeks by mail, three weeks by mail, and by a charge conference action, they can separate to join the global Methodist Church, or they can separate and they can, be, they can become independent. So what is, you may be asking, so what is holding up? What's holding up the, this new biblical-based, this new biblical-based global Methodist Church? Well, the protocol, and if you have, like, military background or if you use the protocol in business, you realize there's certain stages, certain hoops that, you, that, that society or the church goes through. And the protocol was originally intended to be voted on by the General Conference of 2020, but due to COVID-19, that conference was delayed. It was rescheduled for the fall of 2021, but now that conference also has been delayed. And a major reason for the second delay is the realization that many delegates, many delegates from overseas would not be able to attend not only because of COVID, 19, but also because of travel, travel restrictions of leaving their countries and coming into our country. And the conference cannot be held remotely by Zoom and other means because at this time, many of the African delegates and European delegates, many of those have no access to computers and they make up a large majority of the evangelical, conservative, biblical churches of the current United Methodist Church. So the general conference is now scheduled for the fall of 2022. Some are raising questions as to whether even that date, even that date can work. 
Meanwhile, the church waits in a, in a form of limbo. Some evangelical persons and churches knowing that the solution to the future, it's, it's getting discouraging because they feel trapped in a, in a declining, declining conference. And several progressive churches have already said they cannot wait. They cannot wait and are in the process of leaving the denomination. So you see the church is being fractured in probably three to five different directions, and the same is true for evangelical churches, including at least two evangelical megachurches. Now, you may ask, does God? You know, we read our Bibles. I'm sure you read your Bibles faithfully, faithfully and daily, and you pray for your own church. You pray for your pastor, I hope. And you may ask the question, does God have a purpose? Does God have a purpose in all of this? I'm not a political person. I don't like to speak politically from the, the pulpit, but I see our culture coming into the church rather than the church going into the culture. And we pray so at least one person, myself, I'm depending upon Psalm, Psalm chapter 40. I'm waiting patiently for the Lord, and I'm un inclining unto the Lord. And for the present, that seems the, the best the best wisdom that I can offer. In closing today, if there is to be an amicable separation of the traditionalists from the United Methodist Church, we must find a way for general conference to be held in 2022 because they are the only group that's legally authorized to make legislative policies for the church and the relocation of assets within the church. We're talking about millions and millions and billions of dollars of assets in nursing homes and publishing houses and in local congregations and churches and assets of their property. And the legislation for the division of the church, as the church is being divided, called a protocol of reconciliation and grace through separation, has been proposed by a group of key leaders representing different theological perspectives in the church. While persons in this group disagree about many things, they're united around the realization that the United Methodist Church cannot continue, has been for the last 50 years. Years of debate and arguments over matters of marriage and homosexual alternative practices has so divided the church that it would be better, it would be better for all if we might agree to an amicable separation. And the protocol allows for the, the progressive or the liberal expression of Methodism to retain the name United Methodist and be the legalized successors for most of the bureaucracy in the, in the present institutions of the church. And secondly, the to traditionalists to form a, a new Methodist denomination, which is the DMC, the Global Methodist Church. There are a number of legal issues to be addressed. You can can't imagine all the legal issues to be addressed, not the least being what is called the trust clause. The trust clause, which presently stipulates that all church property ultimately belong to the denominational headquarters. And at the present time, any local church that withdraws from the denomination stands to lose control over its property. And the protocol makes provision for withdrawal without loss of property, that 
if you want to go on to be more conservative global United Methodist Church. And the protocol makes provision for annual conferences to identify either with the proposed GMC, Global Methodist Church, or a new traditional denomination that will, will affirm. Will affirm the biblical, historical Methodist doctrines or the post-separation progressive United Methodist Church. And annual conferences would need to vote as I mentioned before, with a 57% majority to move with the traditional Methodist expression. And even if an annual conference votes to identify with a progressive liberal United Methodist Church, local churches could decide by a charged conference action to separate and join the global Methodist Church, or they could separate and they could become an independent, whatever name they want to name themselves. So, so you may ask, what's hoping up? I mean, what's What's holding up the forming of this new biblical-based Methodist progressive church? I mentioned to you earlier that the protocol was originally intended to be voted on at the general conference of 2020, which the entire world, world was coming to Minneapolis, St. Paul, to be voted on. And the site has already been chosen. It's going to be the state of Minnesota again, representing all the world, all the world. But due to COVID-19, that conference was delayed. It was rescheduled for the fall of 2021. But now that conference has also be, been delayed. And as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's a major reason for that second delay is the realization that many delegates from overseas would not be able to attend, not only because of COVID, but also because of travel restrictions. And the conference cannot be held remotely because at this time, many African delegates do not have access to computers. Father, this morning, as we view the troublous times that are going on in not only the Methodist Church, but Presbyterian divisions and Lutherans and Catholics, the church waits almost in a form of lim limbo. Some evangelical pastors and churches knowing that a solution to the future is getting discouraged. And we need to take attention to theological education and preparation for ministry has always been a part of the Methodist Wesleyan expression of church. I'm a Methodist by choice. For me, one of the, the attractions of, to the Methodist church was the emphasis on an education, educated clergy in the primary center for training clergy is the seminary. As they train the clergy, there is a sense in which the seminary shapes the church. A dramatic witness, a witness of this comes from Bonhoeffer, Dr. Bonhoeffer, who sacrificed his life to try to kill Hitler and save the Jews. And when Bonhoeffer, I'm reminded, he came to study at Union Seminary in New York in 1930, he was shocked with what he found, especially in the seminaries. He, he wrote to his superintendent, there is no theology here. They talk a, a loose creek without the slightest subs substantive foundation, without any evidence of any criteria. The students are completely clueless with respect to what dogmatics in the Bible is really about. They're unfamiliar with even the most basic questions. They, they become intoxicated with literal and human phrases, laugh at the fundamentalists, and yet basically are not even up to their level. Though he was referencing one seminary, 
there's no question main line seminaries were following the same theological trend that was shaping union seminaries so many seminaries so many schools of higher learning in the coming separation the um church is in large part a theological one particularly as it relates to the nature of the bible and the authority of scripture the week i began to read bonhoeffer in his autobiography from, from which i i quoted above the the dean, the current dean of Union Seminary, made the news. He denied the virgin birth, and he denied the divinity of Jesus. That seminary is one of the approved seminaries for training ministers in the UM Church. It's critical that those who are now giving shape to the emerging global Methodist Church give serious attention to seminaries and theological education. And along with that is the issue of ordination. I believe that the new denomination will have to focus in in a marked way on church planting. This will probably necessitate better and more creative use of lay persons. This gives us the opportunity to think positively about the ordination and deployment of what we presently call local and lay preachers. Training will be a big, huge issue. Simply adopting a course of study is not going to meet the need, and also how limited or expansive are we going to define the roles? We must in no way infer a second-class understanding of the ordination. This more ex expansive use of lay persons will open the door for exciting creativity, not only in church planting, but, but evangelism, reaching lost souls for Christ, plucking, as John and Charles would say, plucking souls from the flames of hell, serving both rural and urban populations and shaping essential charges. The Global Methodist Church, the GMC Church, gives us a once in many generations opportunity to be guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do a, a new thing without diminishing what the Holy Spirit has done or sought to do in the UMC or other Wesleyan movements. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we pray for the many needs within the many congregations and many denominations we find that even within the church they're having more of a worldview rather than the biblical view of society and in life and livelihood i thank you for those of my listening friends by way of television and radio and the congregation here that that want a, a biblically based church with every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, help us to repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you for my personal healing. I pray for healing of the church. Help us, O oh Lord, to repent, to stand up for the truth, the life, and the way. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe the offering plates at the back of the church I don't know if we want to kind of circulate those. Joe, if you want to circulate those plates, and you can actually bring the plates to the altar if you would be so kind to do. Let us turn to our offertory prayer in the bulletins, and would you follow me as we dedicate this offering to the Lord. God of boundless generosity, as we offer our gifts and our lives to you, help us to hear and heed your Apostle Paul. We long to grow as disciples so that we grow in generosity.
the abundance we have been given has a purpose in your plan, that we might know the joy of sharing that abundance with those in need. We long for that vision of your kingdom where loving hearts bring a better balance between abundance and need. In the name of Christ, our teacher and redeemer, we pray. Amen. As the ushers come forward and take up the offering, let us turn to our offertory hymn, My Hope is Built, purple number 368, please. you stand with me as we praise the Lord in our doxology.
Lord, we praise you again this morning for our favorite ER doc being back, and we pray that you'd continue to have his healing in mind as we pray for him and as he listens to the advice of other doctors and very patiently recuperates and recovers and for the mourning process of Warren's passing from this life to the next. We pray for your spirit for Diane and as Mike and Tina travel the next days and weeks, we pray that you continue to bless them. And we, we pray for all of us now that we serve a God of, of abundance, abundance, generosity, a, a holy God that's above us, among us and within us. And we rejoice this day that while we might have chosen, that you may have chosen to be unknown to us, we know you through Jesus. You have revealed yourself in many ways each encounter with you calls us to return blessings with worship compassion and service and so we we give this day and all days we do so in gratitude for all your your care and for us through your creation and when we give this day we give it because in love you gave us christ that through jesus we might find eternal life and when we give this day your spirit leads your church to reach out in compassion mercy and grace to all your children everywhere, in gratitude we celebrate you three and yet one. Amen. <laughs> 